Welcome to Practicing, an ongoing conversation about spiritual practices. My name is Jason Pfeffer, and I will be your host on this journey. I am so glad you are joining us. In this podcast, we are exploring different ways of practicing our faith. We practice our faith because, well, because we're all practicing, aren't we? Growing each day in our ability to follow Jesus and his teachings takes practice. Christian spiritual practices are not great lofty activities for really serious Christians. They are for anyone who wants to follow Jesus. Spiritual practices are simply any activity that helps us become attentive to the presence of Jesus in our everyday lives. Because in his presence, we are formed by Jesus to be like Jesus for the sake of the world. In this first season, we are exploring the basics of spiritual practices. What are they? Why are they important? What do they do? And where do they come from? We want to demystify spiritual practices so that we can clearly see how they may help us follow Jesus. Coming along on this journey, we have the incredible Jenny Potter. Jenny is producing this little endeavor. We're grateful for her wisdom and for keeping us on track. You'll get to hear from her just a little bit later. And I'm also joined by the most amazing co-host, Andy Moss. Andy, I'm excited to have you along for these conversations, my friend. Jason, thank you. It's a pleasure. Great to join you. Andy, I'm wondering if you could help me out with something. Would you explain the concept of elevenses? Elevens is well. Elevens is the time perfectly because it's just that point in the morning when you you your breakfast. You know you you've run out of breakfast. You're starting to get a little peckish, uh, and you just need something to tide you over till lunch. And so at elevens is. I mean, it, it, you eat at eleven. It just fills the gap. Uh, it's it's perfect. It's okay, per- I mean, so yeah. The first time somebody told me about elevens is I thought they were pulling my leg. I thought they were ripping off Tolkien and it was a Hobbit thing. No. Um, but apparently it's a real thing. Oh, or are, it's, it's, or it's are all English, are, are, are all of the English Hobbits? Is that? <laughs> we do have slightly more hairy feet than your average, <laughs> average person, perhaps. I don't know. But no, everyone should embrace elevens. It's, it's a great thing. All right. Elevens is wonderful. In this episode, we are simply having a conversation with two wonderful people about their experiences with spiritual practices. First, we have Megan Marshman. Megan is an incredible teacher and pastor from Long Beach, California, and she's a regular part of the teaching team here at Willow. Megan, we are so glad that you are here with us today. Oh, I am absolutely honored not only to learn about spiritual practices, but also about uh, anything pertaining to people with accents. I feel humbled by this opportunity. <laughs> now, Megan, you have, you have kids. So the concept of uh, 11s or just pausing in between meals three or even four times a day. I mean, I mean, toddlers are basically hobbits, right? <laughs> they are. I just got to say the difference between uh, um, Americans and the English to imagine that we refer to it as snack. It just seems <laughs> so less beautiful that way. Yes, with kids, of course, we have snack time, but to call it something so beautiful, of course, the English would do that. Uh, love it. This week, we also have Matt Wright with us. Matt is a great leader and a pastor. He spent time as the campus pastor at the South Lake Regional, and most recently, he was the interim executive pastor for Willow. Matt, it is so great to have you with us. I am so honored. I, I'm really, really excited to be a part of this conversation and to have somebody uh, on the on the conversation who uses words like peckish on a regular basis is just, <laughs> we would all be better if we could talk about being peckish more often. I, I think <laughs> I, I need to hang out more with Andy Moss. That's it. Mic drop. I, I bring good snacks, so we should do that. <laughs> snacks. <laughs> uh, and don't forget the tea. Yeah, right. And don't forget the tea. <laughs> Well, Matt, let, let's get started with you. When did you first experience spiritual practices? Yeah, it's a good question. So I came to faith when I was uh, 16. Uh, when I was 16, God got a hold of my life, and I had a student pastor who talked to me about reading uh, the Bible and journaling. And I, I started doing that when I was 16, 17. And, but that felt more like it was an, ex- an exploration of learning about God. And learning about his ways, learning about what was important to him and, and trying to hold those up to my life. 
where I really think the concept of a spiritual practice landed for me was when I was in graduate school, I, I had to write an assignment, a paper, where we were supposed to take an ancient spiritual discipline, and there was a you know great big list that we could do, but do it for two weeks and then write a paper about it, write a paper about your experience. But, but the basic concept was, was to hold certain times of the day and set them aside to connect with God intentionally at those times of the day. And you can get real extreme and say, I'm going to do it every three hours around the clock or every three hours except for three in the morning. So I'm going to do 6 a.m., 9 a.m., noon, 3 p.m., 6 p.m., 9 p.m., midnight, and just roll it that way. And I thought, those people are crazy. I'm just going to do 9 o'clock, noon, 3 o'clock, 6 o'clock. And so, uh, you know, graduate school for me was 50 years ago because I'm so old. But uh, I remember setting my watch timer uh, and that timer would go off and I had these little prayers and I would just stop and, and just set a timer for five minutes and stop and pray. And after a day or two, it was like, okay, I'm starting to get the habit. And then four or five days and then I got a week into it and I realized it didn't even matter what I had written on that prayer. It was just a matter of stopping and spending time with God. And I know that that sounds kind of fuzzy and ethereal, but there was something about just stopping and sitting in the presence of God that I finished that two-week assignment and I realized journaling is great and I need to keep that up. And I need to keep up uh, reading the scriptures and learning more about God. But if I don't program in those times to just stop and be with God on a consistent basis. The structure helped me a lot. Um, I'm missing something. So that's my first kind of diving into spiritual practices is a, a long time ago. And uh, it's been pretty powerful for me. Thank you, Matt, so much. And, and Megan, I, I wonder, as you, as you hear Matt uh, saying those things, when did you first experience spiritual practices? Yeah, first, I even just love that you're using the term spiritual practices because right when I think about when I started, I didn't refer to them as spiritual practices. In fact, it was more referred to for me and the people around me as spiritual disciplines. And to be honest, it felt more like that. It's a discipline. It's something you have to do. And even the word discipline is negative. You're not doing enough. You've, you've done something wrong. You have to do this. And that was my whole approach. While I started it at a young age, I came to faith very early on. It felt like a discipline and a turning point. I'll even say to me, moving from spiritual disciplines, which yes, they do require discipline, and we'll probably get there later in the conversation, to spiritual practices, authentically connecting with our Heavenly Father in relationship. I had a turning point, and it was it was about an hour before the first time I ever shared the good news of Jesus in front of an audience. I had worked in youth ministry on a volunteer basis for years, and then I worked for a Christian camp. And I remember the leader of that camp came to me one day and said, do you want to share the gospel tonight to all the students? So if you can imagine the intimidation factor, it was a thousand high school students for my first time ever speaking, teaching, preaching a message. Wow. And I remember I, was, I said yes before thinking about it. And I went upstairs and I can still remember the space. And I got on my hands and my knees to pray and ask God for help because it was a moment I'm like, I actually, I really need to because I don't know what I'm doing. And I'll never forget even the guidance from the guy that asked. He said, just give him the essentials. Bless my heart. I gave like a 45 minute passionate message that ended with like the whole audience standing up for something. They didn't even know what they were saying. All this to say, the moment before I gave it changed my life because I went upstairs and I got on my hands and knees and began to pray and the movement and intimacy with the Father changed because what I was saying was, God, I have to do this. Okay, I have to do this. I have to do this. And in the span of five minutes of intimacy with the Father, being really honest about what it felt like, I have to do this. I have to do it perfectly. I have to do it well. It's all up to me. Eternity's on the line. Don't screw it up. You know, all the pressure that I was feeling. And I don't even know how it happened, but over the course of five minutes of authentically bringing my authentic life and fears and frustrations and confusion and, and hunger and everything. He moved me from the sentence of, I have to do this to, I get to do this. Mm. And that was the shift for mm. our, for spiritual disciplines being something I have to do mm -hmm. to something that I get to do. I can do, I can connect with my mm. heavenly father. In fact, over the years, I've come to realize 
the true measure of my spiritual practice is how I feel when I don't do them. Mm. Do I feel guilty or do I feel thirsty? And it will, if you think about that, your intimacy with your heavenly father in the times in which you haven't, let's say for days or some of you are laughing, weeks, maybe even months, do you feel guilty for it or do you feel mm. thirsty? And I wonder if God's wanting to take you from spiritual disciplines, a duty and an obligation to a place where your thirst can be satisfied. That's the spiritual practice. And at the age of 23 years old, I understood the difference. Wow. That example is so helpful. I, I, so I'm, I'm sensing, Megan, from what you're saying there, you, you, at that point, kind of embraced what spiritual formation was all about. You had a real flavor of it. I'm wondering how, how spiritual practices continue to play a role in that shift over the, the, the subsequent years. Yeah, the shift would be whether I'm doing them to get done with them or if I'm doing them to encounter him. One of my, for me, I always have to kind of test where my heart is. And the best way to test my heart is to see what I'm searching for in them. So am I searching to get them done? <laughs> am right. I searching for answers? Am I searching for, like, there's a lot of things you can search for, but the beauty of spiritual practices is because God gives us promises. I always like, you know, the, that one worship song that's like, all your promises are yes and amen. I love how the church sings it, but sometimes I wonder if we forget to take advantage of what the promises in scripture are. And one of them is in Jeremiah 29, 13, that says, you will seek me and you will find me. If you seek to find God, you will. So to answer your question, Andy, how it's shaped me, gosh, since even that moment is I've changed what I'm searching for in them. I'm not, I'm not, my goal is no longer to find some sort of specific answer to a specific question. The goal is not to get through them, which to be honest is still a battle each day, but it's to find him. That's the goal. Be, because all his promises are <laughs> oh, hey matt as you're as you're thinking about your journey with spiritual practices, how has your experience changed with them over the years yeah i'm I'm thinking about what Megan talked about uh in the do you feel guilty or do you feel thirsty megan that's really good um and I know that that's been a battle for me over the years. I'm a, if you do Enneagrams, I'm an Enneagram three with the four wing. I like to set goals and get things done. Um, I did a, uh, a, a, a devotional and, and a, um, like a, a practice for the Lent season leading up to Easter. And few things make me feel better than finishing the whole thing. Like, ah, done. I did it. That feels really, really good. So I have to battle that. Am I doing this just to do this? Or what's the transformation that's happening in me? And I think that's what has really shifted my experience around spiritual practices is, is seeing the transformation, seeing the fact that it's drawing me closer to God and it's literally changing who I am. I, I remember years ago, I don't remember who said this, but years ago I heard somebody say, um, if you miss your spiritual practices for a day, God notices. If you miss your spiritual practices for two days, you'll notice. If you miss your spiritual practices for three days, everybody else notices. Mm. <laughs> and I feel that big time. This is changing who I am. It's, it's literally changing who I am every day. One of, I think my, my, I have so many wonderful things about God, obviously, but one of my favorite parts of God is that he literally transforms us from the inside out. That he's, yes, he's taken my sin and yes, I have redemption and salvation and all that. But the fact that he doesn't just leave us here on this earth to stay the same, but that he, that he transforms us. And like Megan said, I think it's in James where you draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Whereas I press in, God meets me there and he is changing me every day. And so over the years, it's been helpful for me to look at how I'm different because of it. And even look back at the journals and look back at the, at the, at the progress and say, wow, God, you are, you are doing something in me that I never thought you would 
do that. I, I didn't even think that was, that was possible and it's beautiful. And it's, uh, it becomes something where I don't want to miss it because I know what it's doing in me and I know what it's like. There's nothing as beautiful as drawing near to God, that there's nothing as uh, satisfying as just sitting in his presence. So I think that's how they've changed. The other thing I would say, Jason, about how it's changed is I, um, confession, I can get bored if I do the same thing for too long. Uh, so if I have the same set of spiritual practices, it's like working out, right? If, if, if all you do is you run all the time, you're going to have some muscles that are really strong, but you're going to have other muscles that just aren't really, really strong. Uh, and it's kind of like, you've got those pictures of, of the joke kind of physique where you have somebody who does nothing except for bicep curls, uh, but they don't ever do squats. And it's like, you miss leg day, buddy. I think sometimes with spiritual practices, it could be like, you miss leg day. Where maybe maybe you've got a beautiful practice of prayer, but you don't have a practice uh, around solitude, or you don't have a practice around. Um, I think spiritual conversations for me has been a great practice, where where my wife and I are, are close friends, having those kinds of deep conversations where there has to be balance. So I get bored, and I find that I have to shuffle through various spiritual practices by season to just keep me engaged with it. And how has your, as you've grown in spiritual practices, how have the practices you've engaged changed the way you've done? You talked about those very formational uh, and foundational practices of scripture and journaling for you. How have the other spiritual practices that you've engaged changed the way you've, uh, you've, you spend your time in scripture and you journal? Well, that's a great question. Um, so one of the spiritual practices that I will go deep in sometimes and not as deep in other times are breath prayers. The concept behind breath prayers is where uh, the, the most famous is the Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy on me a sinner. And the mm-hmm. idea is that uh, turns out the ancient monks thought that scripture was serious when it said pray without ceasing. <laughs> Paul and really so, meant it. Paul really meant that apparently. So they thought, how the heck can I pray without ceasing? How do I just do? So they decided, what if I assign a prayer so that every breath in I'm praying something, and every breath out, I'm praying something else. So it's the Jesus prayer. And on every breath in, you pray as you breathe in, Jesus Christ, Son of God. And every breath out, you pray, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's a really cool spiritual practice. There have been times where, and you're asking how my practices have uh, evolved, times where uh, I'm reading mass quantities of scripture. And there's, there's a place for that. I don't want to say that you shouldn't be reading mass quantities of scripture. There's certainly a place for that. But as my, my disciplines have evolved, there is a beauty for me of taking a single scripture and trying to memorize it as well as I can and attaching it to a breath prayer. So like when John the Baptist says, I must become less, he must become more. And attaching that, or as the Psalms say, be still and know that I am God right now in the midst of this coronavirus stuff. And we've got financial worries. We've got health worries. We've got kid worries, e-learning, all that to just uh, today. I need to take, that's going to be my scripture discipline is to take that verse and attach it to a breath prayer. Uh, So that's an example kind of, of how my disciplines have uh, maybe evolved a little bit over time. It has to change. I think it's okay that it shifts and that it changes for where you are in life right now. Well, Matt, you gave us some details of this, but how have you seen the fruit of spiritual practices play out in your life? I I don't want to be too simplistic, but the fruit of the spirit, the fruit, the singular fruit of him growing in my life, of, of the spirit taking root in my heart is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I mean, it's the list that we all know from Galatians. As I'm leaning into those spiritual practices, those things come out of me. As I am not, I don't see them as much in my life. You talk about peace right now. As I lean into spiritual practices, I find that my peace quotient increases, just just quite simply. And we are in a season right now where peace is hard to come by. And I talk to my neighbors and I talk to my friends and peace is hard to come by. When I'm engaging in my spiritual disciplines, my spiritual practices, my peace quotient increases. There's a lot to not be joy-filled about right now. As I engage in these, my joy quotient increases. 
So I look at all of those things, even I've got three kids. So there's five of us in this house. My wife may or may not have lovingly told me the other day, Hey babe, you're yelling a little bit more at the kids than you used to. <laughs> I said, you're wrong. There's no way, but uh, that's not living out the way of love for my kids. It's not. I just realized, uh, I think I've turned the practices into habits a little bit, maybe more than actually sitting in them. Because when I'm sitting in them, my love quotient increases, my patience quotient increases. So that's how I see it living out in my life. Megan, can I ask you the same question? What fruit have you noticed in your life uh, from your time in spiritual practices? In Galatians 4.19, Paul describes what spiritual practices, the purpose of them is. He defines spiritual formation very simply when he writes this. My dear children, again, the people he's writing to, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, here it is, until Christ is formed in you. Mm -hmm. So when you say, what fruit have you seen? (laughs) I see more of Jesus and less of myself. Continuing on Matt's thoughts, I see more of what John the Baptist talked about more of God. God becomes bigger and I become less. Everything he just communicated comes alive in me in that my initial response looks a lot more like Jesus than my own sinful human nature. I'll give you a case in point. Yesterday, I I have two little boys. One of them is four and a half and he had a tantrum and quite a tantrum. All you moms understand that. Uh, dads as well, of course, but <laughs> He was having this crazy tantrum and me and my husband kind of swapped when we recognized Christ is not being formed in my response. <laughs> and so my husband took him into the other room and I could see that my son was just amping up. And then I just started praying and I walked and then I walked into the room. I was like tag team. And we literally high fived as my husband walked out and I walked in <laughs> and I saw myself start to just act in my own human flesh. And I'm like, and I started getting frustrated almost immediately to the point where I didn't know what to do. And then I remembered what to do, of course, because we, of course we should pray, but I practically did. I got out of my son's little bed and I went onto my hands and my knees and I told my son, I said, I'm just going to go over here and pray. And I just started praying out loud. And I, I looked like a little child with my, my fingers crossed. I was on my knees and praying the most simple, but honest prayers, the type that I only hope my son will one day pray authentically. And I was just praying, God, would you help me? And would you give me precisely what I need to respond as you would to this little boy in this little moment? And immediately my heart broke to imagine, because the reason he was having a tantrum is because he got caught lying. And the truth is I'm better at lying than he is. I just don't get caught. And then I had this moment where God made me aware of not only what my son was feeling and how I could relate, but also how God feels toward my own lying. And I started crying. And my little boy walks up. He's like, are you okay? Like the whole thing started shifting and he couldn't believe it. Suddenly I just held, and he's now four and a half. He always clarifies in a half. And I held him and I just started going, I understand, buddy. I totally get, oh, I understand what it's, why we want to lie. I get it. And I'm so sorry. And I'm doing this through tears. And this is yesterday, friends. And this was only possible. And it was cool because I walked out about, you know, 10 minutes later and both my boy and I had like little tears in our eyes walking out. And I said to my husband, I went, Randy, I just prayed. And it was as if God was like, good, and invite me in because I want to be in that one. Because left to yourself, Megan, you'll have ju- your tantrum will be the exact same. You've just learned how to control it a little bit more and your little boy hasn't. And you're going to show him precisely what to do. And either you will teach him to do it on his own and get through hard moments by himself, or you will teach him what to, what to do. And I love it because it's precisely the model Jesus did. Now, mind you, I am sharing a success story. I have plenty of failed attempts, but the question was asked in a positive way. What fruit have I seen? <laughs> Not failure, so I won't say fruit. But, but I can say as practically as yesterday, it was prayer that transformed my heart to understand my boy, but to also receive what the Lord has toward me so that I could give that away toward him. Wow. It was crazy. Praise the Lord. (laughs) 
I love it. Thanks, Megan. Megan, you have written in the past about the difference between Christian education and Christian spiritual formation. Can you talk about your experience with both Christian education and Christian spiritual formation? Because clearly they're both important and necessary, um, but we have a tendency to uh, lean pretty heavily towards one side of that. Could you share a little bit with us about the difference between education and formation? Absolutely. I had this crazy privilege to study under a leader by the name of Dr. Michelle Anthony, and she invited me to co-author a book with her where we did an entire chapter on the question that you're asking. So I'll do my my best to be brief. But really uh, what we talk about and tackle is that there's two different schools of thought. Even when you get to seminaries, if you were to look for emphasis, you would never see a combination of these two. You would either take a Christian education tract in which you want to give away intellectual information and education that happens to be Christian, or there's a spiritual formation track. And if you aren't very well versed in them, it's easy to say, okay, so if you're in the charismatic denomination, you jump over to spiritual formation. And if you are more Baptist, you're going to lean more toward Christian education. But the truth is a lot of us grew up in some sort of lean we go one direction or the other. Either we studied, and just to give a few differences, Christian education would be more of an intellectual approach to the scriptures. So I need to know that there 40 days and 40 nights is how long it rained. And the, the Noah's Ark was made of gopher wood. And we can go into all the details and we can educate. And it's important. In fact, in Christian education, they really highlight things like memorization of scripture, where in contrast, a spiritual formation tract would study more, less memorization, more about meditation. And maybe instead of an intellectual approach to the Bible, let's experience the truth. And so you can start to notice there's a different way to study scripture. There's a different way to go about encountering God. A few other ones, if you go into more of a Christian education route of teaching, it's very easy to teach a message, giving a lot of education, and then finish with, and here's your three points of application. For instance, let's say I gave a message on God is love. And my three points of application are love a lot more old ladies, walk them across the street and sit next to the lonely kid at lunch. That's the way that you will apply this message that God is love. We're on a a spiritual formation way of teaching that exact same message. I could give the God is love sermon and then finish it rather than three points of application. I could create an environment of response. Response would be where I am going to partner with the Holy spirit instead of telling you how to apply it. So spiritual formation would be more, okay, so God is love. If God is love, then how is the Holy spirit leading you to respond to his love? And then here's the hard part. You have to get silent and let the Holy Spirit be the teacher that you just taught that he is. (laughs) And it's hard and it is dependent. And I'll say I've worked actually, some of my background is working for Sunday school curriculum lines. And it was really fun because especially in elementary aged education, 90% of what people are teaching, I just made up that percentage. Let me just say it's high, the percentage (laughs) Uh, that people are doing more Christian education. You have gold stars because you want to memorize scripture. And it's natural because that's what we think we have control over is that I can scale or create some sort of rubric assessment of how well my students are doing if I give them Christian education. And I can hear how they're doing in their faith based on what they remember. And so it's a lot easier to go that route. But when I worked for this curriculum line, we wanted to bring in spiritual formation, but not, not at the expense of Christian education. What we found is that in order for Galatians 4.19 to be true, that Christ becomes formed in us, you have to have a combination of both. That was an aha for us. Because if you don't, if you go lean only in one direction, then you may have truth and you may know a lot about God without knowing him at all. Or if you just go on the spiritual formation route, you can experience God, but not have the truth and foundation of his word to know what he's like And then you can start listening to voices and feel good and then listen to your feelings more than actually understanding or learning how to discern his voice. So what we learned over these years of study is that we have to create environments that have both intertwined 
So practically what that would look like for us is in an elementary school curriculum, I'll never forget it, we tried this. So we, and this was different for us. It was when I was working for David C. Cook Publishing and we were saying, we want to try something. We believe there's no junior Holy Spirit. We believe that he can dwell within all who believe. And so we did this thing where we gave them Christian education. We gave them content. Here's truth about God as revealed in the scripture. Here's truth about God as revealed in his scripture. Here's truth about God. And then with little fifth graders, we said, and how is the Holy Spirit leading you to respond? And then we did something courageous. We put a little microphone on a stand and said, as you remain quiet, and we of course explained what the, who the Holy Spirit is and all that. And we did lessons prepping up to this. We said, if in your heart you believe God is wanting to lead you in a certain way, we would like you to come up to the microphone and tell us how the Holy Spirit's leading you to respond. And the message happened to be God is love. And well, and it was risky, as you can imagine, with fifth graders, right? And so all of us are sitting there waiting. And then the little first kid goes up and everyone's nervous because you know he's going to set the tone. And so he gets up and he kind of leans in. He goes, so I'm a hoarder. And all of us are going... Did you say the word hoarder? Did you say, I didn't say, no one said that. No one said the word hoarder. And we're trying not to laugh. We're trying to hold our tongue and nod like we, like he did something really spiritual. And we were not sure. And we got to the end and we sent his small group leader to the rescue. We're like, go fix that boy, you know? And the best was the moment at the end when the, when that little life group leader of that little fifth grade boy came back and he said, are you ready? We said, sure. He said, the little boy said that you taught that God is love. And when he thought about God's love, he thought about how generous God is with his love. And we realized, as, and he said, and I realized if God is generous, he was teaching me that I have not been generous with my toys. And so I realized how God wanted me was to stop hoarding my toys. And all of us were humbled. And all of us also said, wow, God, not wow, preacher. We didn't say, wow, storyteller. We didn't say, wow, worship through music. We said, wow, God, because I can't think of a better evidence of the Holy Spirit at work than a fifth grader willing to give up his toys. It was insane, but it was risky. And it was the combination of both. Wow. That's amazing. Thank you, Megan. That's so helpful. I think it's, it's so helpful to think about the need for the for both Christian education and Christian spiritual formation. I think we're so, um, we live in such a binary world that it's either this or that. And to to understand that both are so important and to hold them together, uh, that, that holding only one is, uh, is not going to be healthy, whichever one it is, is really helpful. I'm curious why you guys think, so I grew up, uh, Megan, you talked about the, the Baptist tradition. I grew up Southern Baptist. I, uh, I'm an ordained Southern Baptist pastor. Uh, and you are totally right. As I grew up, it was there was a heavy emphasis on Christian education. And I actually am extremely thankful for that because I know how to study the Bible. And I, I think it's important to know these things about, about God and, and Scripture and, and all of that. But I'm curious, why do you guys think it is that churches or organizations oftentimes feel the need to gravitate toward one or the other? That's a great question. I, I think people aren't aware that there's a gravitational pull. And I think the pull is simply coming from tradition. So I grew up in Christian education, similar to you, Matt. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know. And I, I mean, when, when Francis Chan wrote that, the book, The Forgotten God, I wasn't aware yeah. <laughs> at how little the Holy Spirit had been a part of my life. So I had grown up with all Christian education and didn't even know there was another option. I don't think people are intentionally doing a bend. I just think we're not aware of the both. At least I wasn't growing up in the, and and similarly, I have some friends who only grew up with spiritual formation and they, you know, they had a message for 20 minutes and then an hour long response time with, you know, worship songs and healings and all of that. And and they had never (laughs) understood, what do you mean you don't have a ministry time at the end? What do you mean people don't come forward for prayer? What do you mean? And I, so I don't think that naturally people even necessarily understand there's a difference. There's only what we've known. And typically people don't understand the need for the blend because it hasn't been put right in front of them. And to be honest with you all, I didn't even realize the difference in educational tracks until I met Dr. Michelle Anthony. 
Yeah, and, and you may be right. Maybe maybe it's a matter of knowledge. I, I'm thinking back to the church uh, that I was a part of, and this is decades ago, and it's it's a, a different church today than it was then. But there was a general fear. You, know, you you had the other kinds of churches. You know those other churches that came from a different perspective. Those those other churches. There there was a fear of those other churches, almost like, well. If it's in the scripture, I can know it and I can grab onto it and it's this and it's only this and that's that there was a safety to that. Uh, but there was a fear to what it could look like if you went toward an ex- almost like experience versus knowledge. Uh, and, and that's a false dichotomy to set up right there. But it was I, I find it fascinating the way that that there is that false dichotomy that a lot of organizations set up. And sometimes I wonder if, if it's fear based. Sometimes I wonder, Megan, it's like you're talking about. It's just a matter of of I don't know. But regardless, it's incomplete. It's 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 incomplete. One without the other. Just it's like trying to balance on a pogo stick. You might be able to do it for a little bit, but eventually you're not going anywhere. You know, like it's, it's incomplete to not have both the education and the formation. Both of those things have to be, have to be running forward. I, the, the church I grew up in, it, it was almost like we thought that the Holy Spirit was the silent partner of the Trinity that should be talked about, but never heard from. We're a little bit afraid of anything that might bring the Holy Spirit really, really deeply into the conversation. And I, I just think we're missing out on so much of who God is if we limit him to one or the other. And it's and it goes even beyond one. I mean, we're breaking it down to Christian education and spiritual formation, but we can come at it from a different perspective as well and look at the various Christian traditions. And obviously, we're talking about Christian traditions here, right? But when we get so caught up in our one single stream, and we realize that our stream has really good and important things that are helpful to us, there's a reason why we've gathered around this stream, but there are others as well, right? Like Matt, you referenced the Jesus prayer earlier in this conversation. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that comes from the Eastern Orthodox church, right? I mean, so that comes from our, our Greek and Russian and Ethiopian Orthodox brothers and sisters. Um, we've talked about things like meditation, which comes from a contemplative stream. And it, when we're, whether it's fear or just simply staying in that silo, that we're, we're missing something. Somebody wrote something one time about um, the entire church being like a body, I think, is what, what this person wrote. And, you know, that, that we need all of the parts of the body, that, that you know, every part is important. <laughs> Somebody wrote about that somewhere. Uh, I read it once <laughs> or twice. <laughs> Uh, well, <laughs> Matt and Megan, this was a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for your time. We are so grateful uh, for yeah. each of you and thank the you. way that you lead and teach our church. Uh, thank you for taking uh, time uh, out of your busy day to have this conversation with us. Thank you, Megan. Honored. Thanks, Matt. Very Absolutely. honored. Thank you. Yeah, thank you guys. What a conversation with Megan and Matt. There were so many great thoughts. What did you notice in the conversation? What stood out or resonated with you? We're now going to welcome Jenny into this conversation. Jenny and Andy, what is sticking with you out of this conversation with Matt and with Megan? What what are we hearing from God in this? Yeah, I think the thing that I... I really am taking away from this conversation with something that Megan said, where she even kind of started to distinguish between spiritual practice and spiritual discipline and why that language really matters. Um, If you listened to kind of my intro, you know that I'm coming in a little wounded um, in this area. And so I think to have someone kind of reshape a narrative or reshape something that I thought I had experience in and, and kind of not just put like a fresh coat of paint on something, but really create language that helps me feel more invited into it. That was really powerful. And, you know, I'm a big words person. They really matter to me. And I heard someone recently say that words become worlds. Mm. And I just think there's something important to that. So this shift in thinking for me has been really powerful that this isn't something 
that I'm being disciplined. I didn't do something wrong. Mm -hmm, This isn't mm -hmm. a punishment. This isn't penance, but that this is something that I'm invited into to deepen my relationship with Jesus. Yeah, I'm really thankful for that part of the conversation because I think I didn't know that I needed to hear it until I heard it. Mm. So it was great. Yeah, it makes me think when she was talking about that, that really resonated with me as well. And it reminded me of a woman that I know who some future season will have Mimi Dixon on this podcast because she's amazing. And the way she talks about time with Jesus is so matter of fact, like mm-hmm. it's just, it's just there. Like I remember at one point she, she just t- told me the story and it was like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm doing this work and you know, Jesus is just sitting over on the windowsill. And, <laughs> but it's, it's this idea of just loving being in the presence of mm-hmm. Jesus and that's a completely different experience. And, and the practices, they do require some, not discipline in the sense of punishment, but they do require some, some effort, some work. And here, they require intention. Yes. But that intention is not towards an obligation, which is what stood out to me was as she was talking about this idea of, of doing a spiritual practice because it's something I'm supposed to do and I have to do versus I am... I am doing this because it is time for me to be with Jesus. And I love Mm. that time Mm. that there is joy and there's peace that comes out of that space. And my whole life is better when it's grounded in the presence of Jesus. That that resonated with me as well. That just reminds me of before, before my husband and I got married, we were talking to our pastor and she was telling us that She said, you know, the best marriages that I know, those couples are working their butts off, Mm -hmm. you know, and it just, it's kind of this counterintuitive that you think the best ones or, you know, the people that are most practicing the presence of Jesus daily, it's like coming really natural or Mm -hmm. they don't have to work at it, but just kind of the shift of like, oh, right. When you really believe in something and value it, you prioritize it and you make space for it. And it's not coming from a negative place. It's becoming, it's coming from that intention and that intent in your life. So I love that. I think that's really powerful. Well, and and I think often about Dallas Willard once said, you'll never find time for prayer. You'll only make time. Just that idea of intention. It's like, if it's it's important, you need to make some time Mm -hmm. for that. Yeah. And, and of course, I mean, we're certainly not saying this in any sort of, you know, shaming um, sort of way. It's the idea is like, I just think if we have an experience of God's presence in a deep way that propels us and it's like the golf shot that keeps you coming back. Right. I mean, like you can't, you can, I mean, you can shank and slice 17 drives, but that one that you just hit in a sweet spot straight down the middle of the fairway, you know, 250 yards or, you know, whatever, like that one that keeps you coming back. It's that, that moment, that experience that you have with the presence of God with you. And you just say, Whoa, and that propels us to go deeper and to experience God more fully and to continue down that journey with the Lord is something that is, at least in, in my experience, has been really meaningful. So what about you, Andy? What, what stood out for you, my friend? The point you just made, it connects with, I think, something that Matt said and which really mm-hmm. struck me where he was talking about, I think he was at grad school and he was given the, the project the project to do to, and so he yeah. decided to do the daily office. And he, his, it sounded like his, um, he wasn't expecting great things. His expectations weren't particularly high. And yet the process of, of practicing that um, and engaging in that turned it from something that was an assignment into something that he, he wanted to continue doing. And, and, you know, that's not, you can't generate that for yourself. You know, so that, that to me speaks of, you know, God getting involved and it becoming about finding God's presence and engaging with God and experiencing something that really is um, genuine and real. Um, so that, that, that stood out to me uh, yeah. because he, well, he wasn't looking for it and yet he found it. And I think this, that, that carries some, some weight. I think that's a really good point too, that I think that this is the type of thing that you can experiment with, right? Like what you're, I think what you're both saying is, it might not be the thing that you think is going to hook you that might hook you and you kind of have to try it and you'll, you'll keep coming back if it's working, right? Like if you're getting some fruit out of it, I think that's important too, to feel the freedom. I think a, a lot of times I felt pressure 
that it had to, that I had to conform and kind of, it had to look a certain way. And so if it wasn't working for me, it was the me part, you know, as opposed to, okay, well, let's try something else. And and not to be like non-committal about it, but just to say, there's so many different ways to connect with God. So don't try to be forcing yourself into one, but also to give them a chance too. you know, don't dismiss them before you try them. I thought that was, yeah, yeah, that was cool. You mentioned in our last conversation, Jenny, that you're an Enneagram One. There's, there was an interest, a really interesting study that was done in a book that was written, not about Enneagram personality um, uh, concepts, but Myers-Briggs temperaments. And they did this study on prayer and the four basic temperaments within the Myers-Briggs. So mm-hmm. if you're familiar with that, it's the uh, NT, NF, uh, J, uh, SJ, SP. And, and they looked at the types. They, did a, they literally did a study where they invited people in of each type and they engaged them in specific forms of prayer. And they, they came out and said, hey, there's, there, are, there are forms of prayer that connect with the different temperaments. And I think for us to acknowledge the fact that we are all created uniquely, that Jenny, you're a one on the Enneagram. I'm a seven. What, Andy, are you a, were you a six? No, I'm trying to remember what you, where you're. Yeah, that was a little bit of a journey right there. <laughs> Another five. I'm going to go for nine. Nine. Okay. Yeah. So we're, each of us is a, has a different personality type. And if we you know, went deep into it with Myers-Briggs and strength finders and all that kind of stuff, we could go deep. But the reality is God made us that way. Like God intentionally made me to be an ENFP type seven, you know, strength finders, ideation, like all that kind of stuff, right? God made me that way. And that means it's good. And because of that unique creation, there are certain practices that connect really uh, naturally to me. And there are some that don't. There are some practices that are very, very hard. And I would say that doesn't mean I shouldn't do them, right? Um, but there is something about finding those practices that do connect to, uh, to the, the way that we are uniquely created. Those practices that seem to fit us like a glove because they give us a foundation to begin with, a place to start with a practice. And um, I, just, I, I think that's so important for us to recognize the, you know, trying things on and find a practice that helps us to connect to God. And, you know, and I, I mean, when Matt was talking about that, Andy, I was thinking about how that whole experience started with someone telling him that he had to do something and he should do it. And, and we can get really dismissive of that and be like, uh, we have to do something. And, and, and I think it's, it's smart to talk about shoulds and oughts. And I don't think we should be primarily driven by, we ought to do this and therefore we should do it. But there is something good about someone saying, this is an important practice. Give it a shot. And, and having that space and the freedom to try it and say, and, and to spend some time with it. Sometimes it's hard the first time, but if you spend a little bit of time with it, you go, oh, okay, now I'm finding the joy in it. I think that that's really valuable. Friends, at the end of every podcast, we want to leave you with an invitation. Podcasts can be a really wonderful way to share information. And I hope we all learned something today with Matt and Megan. But our hope is that this time together will not just stop with information, but will lead us into a deeper experience with Jesus in our everyday lives so that we might grow in relationship with him and be formed by Jesus to be like Jesus. So if you're willing, wherever you are, Whatever you are doing, would you turn your attention right now to Jesus? You might take a deep breath and remember the promise of Scripture that right now we are in the presence of Jesus. No matter where we are on the journey, we can all find ourselves in a rut. Spiritual practices can become obligations rather than opportunities to be with Jesus. This week, how might we examine the practices we are already doing and begin or return our attention to God's presence? 
How can we take a small step toward being more intentional about noticing and being with God in the practice? You might begin your time in a spiritual practice with a few deep breaths and a reminder that God is with you. Maybe you'll choose to read the Bible differently. Maybe you'll read slowly with one ear toward the words and the other toward the Holy Spirit. What is the Spirit illuminating in this passage in your life today? Or maybe you'll pray with greater attention to the Lord. Maybe you'll imagine Jesus is sitting with you as you pray. Or maybe you'll listen. How is God responding to you in your prayer? Perhaps you'll notice God's presence in the life of a friend or someone in your small group, or maybe you'll listen to the Lord and allow your interactions with others to be guided by what you hear from the Holy Spirit. Or maybe you will choose to pay greater attention to the one to whom you are singing during a weekend service, or you'll notice what stands out in the teaching. Why is God drawing this to my attention today? How do you sense God inviting you this week to be more attentive in your practice? Would you choose one practice? Don't try to do it all. Just simply choose one right now. Which practice seems to rise to the top today? This week, would you be faithfully intentional about recognizing God's presence with you in the midst of this practice? Lord, we offer these practices to you right now. We know any good that comes from our practice is the height of grace. We lay aside our expectations and we offer these times to you to do with whatever you want. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for joining us. We're so glad that you have been with us. If this has been helpful, would you be willing to take a moment to subscribe, uh, to rate, or even to review this podcast? This will help more people to find it, and we pray to be invited into a deeper experience of Jesus in their lives. Heck, why not go do all three right now? Subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. You might even consider someone in your life who you think would be blessed by this podcast and share it with them. And then finally, I hope that you will join us next week as we ask the question, what are spiritual practices? Our guest is a wonderful pastor, teacher, author from Boston named Adele Calhoun. Adele wrote the Spiritual Disciplines Handbook and Invitations from God. She is absolutely amazing, one of my favorite people in the world, and you definitely don't want to miss it. We'll see you next week.